how do you help content creators get real about time? Because time's well, a problem, right? Yes, it is. You can be your friend. I do two things. One helps manage the tasks that we have to do by understanding realistically how much time to set aside for each task. Then I have a system that manages energy. Uh -huh. Understanding the times of day that are best for you and everyone's different, the best for you to do something stationary, the best for you to do something where you're up on your feet, the best time for you to do absolutely nothing or to chill, and then how to set yourself up for just going off the deep end. Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations. Why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, Cher. Yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, -okay, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am your host, Tracy Otsuka. Thank you so much for joining me here for episode number 227 of ADHD for Smartass Women. I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter over at tracyotsuka.com. You know my purpose is always to show you who you are and then inspire you to be it. And in the thousands of ADHD women that I've had the privilege of meeting, I've never met a one that wasn't truly brilliant at something. So, of course, I am just delighted to introduce you to our guest, Roxanne Jarrett. I always ask my guests to send me their bio, but then part of how I prepare for these podcast interviews is I do my own sleuthing. And of course, when I looked at what Roxanne provided, it was so modest. Even by ADHD standards, she has done so much that it's almost ridiculous. And I'm just going to touch on a few of the things. Roxanne has a Master of Arts in Educational Theater from NYU. She has a Bachelor of Arts in Drama from Purchase College and a million certifications from life coaching to film production to acting, improvisational comedy, voice, opera, gospel, screenwriting. It just goes on and on, but it's second only to the work she's actually done rather than just studied. Roxanne has been a media buyer for Robert Becker art buyer for Ralph Lauren Polo in New York, a production manager for Theater Film in New York, a drama director, 
She was the director of a children's company and a playwright for Black Spectrum Theater and a Shakespearean language instructor, a writing tutor at Audrey Cohen College in New York, an actress, lead singer, arts organizer for the state of Maryland Women's March on Washington, a jewelry designer, and finally, founder of Swellhead LLC, where she uses her groundbreaking programs to inspire entrepreneurs with executive functioning challenges to finish their passion projects. Known as a creator's midwife, Roxanne motivates clients to get real about time and prioritize self-care so they can produce quality content. Combining all her years of experience as curriculum director, theater educator, and film producer, Roxanne has helped corporate executives with ADHD and dyslexia get their work done. A severe trauma survivor who used to live in a Brooklyn homeless shelter, Roxanne emphasizes the necessity of doing what you love for a living. She's passionate about supporting creators as they reduce overwhelm by designing a structure and environment in which to thrive. Roxanne, welcome. Did I get <laughs> all that right? Oh my gosh. Yo, hello, everybody. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So when you hear all this, I kind of thought I heard a little bit of a laugh, right? It's, it's so much. It is. It is. It sounds kind of like someone trying lots of different things and having fun. <laughs> it does. And it sounds like someone with ADHD. And mm -hmm. I think the interesting thing is how, you know, I always talk about, actually, I stole this from um, Steve Jobs, that you can never see your path looking forward, right? And I think a lot of people would, and a, probably a lot of you know, we talk to women with ADHD. So a lot of women with ADHD who don't know they have ADHD would listen to that and maybe see a part of it in their own life and think, oh my gosh, I'm all over the place. However, we can see our path when we look back. And somehow I'm sure all of that fits in, right? It and sure it does. Helps you do what you do. Absolutely. Before we go there, because I love your hybrid get the work done coaching model, I definitely want to talk about that. But before we do that, can we talk about your ADHD diagnoses first? Oh, sure. So what were the circumstances? <laughs> well, okay. The circumstances were that my daughter had just finished kindergarten and her teacher's told me that they were observing some things and suggested that I have her tested for ADHD. I had suspected that I was living with ADHD a few years beforehand and before my daughter was born, but shortly before my pregnancy. I did a Google search and I typed in, why do I have so many interests? <laughs> And that's how I started to put together this idea that I was living with ADHD. My official diagnosis didn't come, however, until right after my daughter was diagnosed at age six. And so was it one of those situations where the, I don't know, psychoeducational evaluator, whoever that was, was talking to you about your daughter and then asked you, have you ever considered it? Or did they see it in you? Like you move so much or anything like that? What happened is I saw my daughter. I saw myself in my daughter. The clinician didn't say anything to me about myself. It's just the teachers noticed that she was struggling with completing tasks and 
moving from one thing to another. And I saw myself. And since she got diagnosed, I said, well, what can I do? Can I get diagnosed too? I want to know for sure. I want to know finally. And they told you it's hereditary. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So once you knew it was ADHD and you had the benefit of hindsight, what are some of the symptoms that you always wondered about, like from childhood on, that you now recognize as clearly, well, duh, that was ADHD? Difficulty finishing things, especially when they were detail-oriented. It's funny because it's, not, it's kind of true and it's not true. So in my family, I'm a first-generation American. I grew up in a Jamaican household in New York City, and we were about the cleaning and the cooking and all of that stuff, <laughs> right? And so I had a hard time doing house chores, finishing and so on. However, I was excellent at the bathroom. <laughs> I, I look back now and I see that I, I guess I was the bathroom person because it was small and I would close the door and then I would just get hyper-focused and just clean every nook and cranny. But that's like the only job. And then my sister did everything else. It's <laughs> like, like, you know, couldn't handle it or had difficulty at least handling it. I remember this thing. We had this couch and the arms of the couch were worn down. So the fabric had come off. And my sister and I had done this little art project in camp. It was a fabric and we had to paint it. And there were all of these lines, these intricate lines. And I loved art group in camp. However, I was filling in the lines and going through all this stuff. And it was really tedious for me. And I remember, I still remember that we were tidying up the house and my sister saw these two arms that were worn down and we had guests coming over. And I guess she had been embarrassed about it. I'm just guessing. So she took those two little fabric things that we had each made and put one over each arm. And I remember, I still have the stamp of photograph in my head of hers being complete and mine not being complete. And I remember when I looked at it thinking, I was having fun doing that. What's wrong with me? Why didn't I finish that? Why is it so hard? So how did you do in school? Was school easy for you? It was, it was easy and difficult. So I had the benefit of phonics when I was younger. My mother had the foresight. She discovered it and she had me come home from preschool and listen to this record. And, you know, there was that little sound bring, and you turn the page. And so I learned to read very early and I was an excellent reader. And I think it was the benefit of being an, an excellent reader, an outstanding reader early that took me through school. I did have times of difficulty. However, by high school, I was an honor student. I was an advanced placement English student. And uh, my strength in reading and writing really compensated for a lot of my other difficulties. For example, I had always an A or A plus average in advanced placement English. However, I never read one book. <laughs> during oh my, my entire high school career. So Roxanne, do you think you're dyslexic? So I know you work with people with dyslexia. Because <laughs> well, it's well, spectral, right? It is. I think it's that I had that issue of 
starting to read and then feeling distracted and being uh. overwhelmed by all of the words. However, when we read Poe, I would read the whole story because they were short. I would read short stories, but the novels, uh, the novels were difficult. I'm going to tell you this though. There, I, I lied. There is one time in high school that I read an entire book from cover to cover in one sitting. It was The Old Man and the Sea. It let, but but I'm, I wonder how many of your readers will relate to this. I had just been returned home after being kidnapped. Wait, is this true? Yeah. And I went and I read The Old Man and the Sea from cover to cover. And that was the only time in high school that I completed a book, not even halfway completed a book. Why would that allow you to read a whole book? It was related to trauma. I was just returned home. It was a very explosive incident. And my father was angry with me. The teacher who had taken me had me in a car on the way home to my parents. This is pre-cell phone time telling me about concocting the lie that we we're going to tell my parents at the same time, telling me that I smell good oh. and all types of things. And then I'm, I just, I get home and my father's angry and yelling at me, even though he's not understanding what happened. And, and then I was just sent to my room, just go to your room. I went to the room and there was this book that I had no intention of reading because at that point I was in 12th grade. I hadn't read any other books. And I think in order to calm myself down, I just focused and hyper-focused. So basically getting out of your own head and getting into this book. Absolutely. So you wouldn't have to deal with it. Oh, I'm yes. so sorry, Roxanne. Uh, thank you. Thank you. It really did affect my senior year in a lot of ways. And so was that when your grades, you started to struggle more in school? I struggled a bit more. However, with English, I think English was something that was just, I just had it in hand so well that I still was an A, A plus student in English all the way through to the end. So no, that isn't what caused me to struggle in that way. I think it was prior to high school, there, there was some difficulty because I was skipped. So my reading was so ahead that the New York City public school system, there was a shortage of teachers and there was surplus of students. And I went to fourth grade for two weeks. I already kind of had a late birthday because different states are different. But in New York, if if you turn... You have till, I think, December 31st to turn the age for the grade. So if you're supposed to be six in first grade, you can turn six up until December 31st. So my birthday is the end of November. So I already was like I started first grade at age five and then I turned six at the end of November. So I was in fourth grade and I was eight to turn nine. And then within two weeks, they decided they were going to promote some of the students, and I was one of them. So I went to fifth grade at age eight. So you were super young. Yeah. And so there was, there was definitely a, a social issue <laughs> after <laughs> that. Oh. So th that's what I mean. And, and it took some years to rebound from that. And then college was another difficulty. And I realized looking back that it was because I was 
away from home. Yeah. And I didn't have parents to manage my time. Yep. That first year happens to most of us, I think, with ADHD. Absolutely. So it, it was uh, by the end of freshman year, I was on probation and I was rather proud and my pride couldn't afford failing out of college. So I started to use a lot of traditional ADHD accommodations back then without knowing that I was living with it. So what were you studying in college? Remind me. I know drama you told studies. Me drama, drama studies. So my yeah, my major was drama studies, but that was declared after two years. So a bunch did of you, things beforehand. Yeah. So did you go in studying something other than English? In college? Mm-hmm. I went in as an undeclared. And then after two years, I declared drama studies, which was theater directing playwriting and theater history combined. I'm just curious, the kinds of classes that you struggled with. Now, was it, because I'm still, I'm still stuck on English, the fact that you are so gifted in English, but you've never read, it, it was just a novel, right? What about nonfiction? Were you interested in reading anything? Like, how can you be so good at English, you know, and be such a strong writer and have never written? That's kind of my, my thought. I'm fascinated by it. I was a great writer in high school. As a matter of fact, I won something in senior year. I was published by Bard College <laughs> in senior Were year. Were you was, writing about yourself? I was writing about all types of things, including the novels that I didn't read. How did you do that? <laughs> because I listened. I would wow. sit in class and, and I would listen. I would hear, we'd talk about the crucible and then I would get to understand the different characters and the concepts and so on. And then I would take those things and, and play with them in my mind. Uh-huh. Emerson. Yeah, yeah. I would listen and then I would write. That's fascinating. So Roxanne, what happened in college that you were suddenly able to turn it around? Well, <laughs> fear, fear of sinking or swimming and just doing anything that I could just Mm. being really creative. So what I did after the the summer that I had after freshman year, and I had a a hard summer after freshman year, and and then also I was on probation. The first semester, sophomore year, I didn't take any class before 3 p.m. Ah. So that's what I did that semester. I took it really light. And I took three, four credit courses and stayed on campus and no classes before 3 p.m. So it's never late. Then after that, what I did was I befriended my professors and I would Mm. say to them, I'm very interested in taking your course next semester. Do you know what books are going to be on the syllabus? And also I... I really focused on taking things I was really interested in. So I took classes like Black Women Writers, Mm. uh, Literature of the Harlem Renaissance, where we had to read a lot of novels. And I actually actually started to read novels and finish novels because I was really interested and connected with the subject matter. It was very relevant to me at that time in my life. And I also befriended the professors and said, I want, would like to know what's on the syllabus for next semester. So over 
winter break, I would read one or two novels. So I was ahead by the semester. And I would do that the same thing over the summer. So you developed workarounds that worked for your brain. Yes, I took incompletes sometimes. And I also asked for unique assignments. So for example, I was in literature of the Harlem Renaissance. And I asked if I could do extra work on a play of the Harlem Renaissance and do an extra paper so that I could get credit in drama studies for a Harlem Renaissance literature class. So it could count against my degree. Yeah. Right. So just kind of creating curriculum, (laughs) (laughs) adjusting, wheeling and dealing. Yeah. Using that creative brain. So since you've been diagnosed, what has changed? Well, one thing that changed was that I started to take medication that I don't take anymore. Oh, tell us about that. I took a medication. I don't know if you just discuss medications here. Well, everybody always asks me. So if you're willing to tell us what it is, I'm sure our listeners would be delighted. I took Stratera. It was absolutely life-changing. I remember the moment that I knew it worked. I was, I was, (laughs) I'm dating myself. I was organizing my cassette tapes. (laughs) <laughs> I had them too. <laughs> it was it was it was 2012 or something and I was organizing cassette tapes, so, you yeah, know, whatever. Um, and I sat to organize and an, an hour later I was finished and I looked and I said, "Oh my goodness. I just sat here and organized all of my cassette tapes without walking away and leaving it on the floor for a week." Wow. And I knew that it had worked. So you said you no longer take medication. What happened? Were you able to change your brain? I feel like it, the medication was very helpful. I plateaued at a certain point, And I decided that a higher dose wasn't going to work for me because it brought me some side effects that I didn't like. Mm-hmm. So I definitely gained a lot more skills over the time. Yeah. And I was happy with managing without it at that yeah. point in my life. Everyone makes their own choice on what things work. And that's what happened for me at this point. Sounds like you built new neural pathways because you could now still sit down, right? And organize those cassette tapes if you needed to. I can. I do use cannabis for certain tasks, not all. Okay. Tell me about that. Things that are more kinetic. Uh, So cleaning the kitchen, laundry, moving items and and placing them and clearing the floor. Cannabis works well for me. Sorting through papers. No, doesn't work well for me. So what does it do? Like what, you know, as far as cleaning the house, how does it help? Does it calm your brain down? So you're not like, you know, looking at everything else that you would rather do? All I can say, Tracy, is that it makes it more fun. <laughs> and and I, I use a type that kind of gets me hopping. Oh. And I put the music on and I turn it into a party. It feels like okay. a party. I look forward to it. And yeah, it's great. Positive emotion. It feels good. So yeah. you do it. 
Yeah. I love that. That's a great workaround. No one's ever suggested that one before. Thank you. Okay. So you're a coach for entrepreneurs with ADHD and dyslexia, but you do things differently. Can you tell us how? Yes. So I focus on self-care and environment before work. I, I use a method. I call the SO method, S-E-W. And the S stands for self-care, the E stands for environment, and the W stands for work. Mm. And it's a hierarchy. So self-care and environment are focused on first before any work is done. That's one thing that I do. And the other thing is I help people to look at their lives and assess their lives with a reality check and understand how they manage, they're going to manage their time and their energy so that they can set a realistic delivery date for their passion project. So that could be a course or it could be a board game that they want to design, for example. So can you give us an example of a client that you've worked with and how you walked him or her through the system? Oh, yes. All right. Let me think of someone who would be a great example. So there was a client who wanted to do a big community event of about 250 to 300 people. She needed to put this event together and make it look viable so that she could get funding. Mm-hmm. She was completely overwhelmed by the idea. It was in her head. It was swirling around. She had all of these, these, she had all of these different components that she wanted to include. And she wanted to understand when she could realistically launch this community initiative. So she came to me with all of this stuff swirling around in her head. And we did a momentum meeting where she poured out everything. She just talked through everything that she wanted to do. And she was all over the place in a lovely way. She wanted to talk about community health. She wanted to have interactive activities. She wanted all of these different things. And I just let her talk and I typed. So on top of everything else that I've done, I learned to type very early and worked as an administrative assistant when I was in college and outside of college. And when I worked with corporate executives, a lot of what I did included typing. I had one executive who was dyslexic and she used to talk all of her ideas. And I used to use a dictaphone and type out everything that she taught. And and I would put these materials together and make them look attractive. So what I did with this client is I just let her talk and I typed out and organized all of her ideas. And this is what I do with a lot of clients. You don't have to write anything. Just talk to me. Just uh, just tell me everything that's on your mind. Go off on tangents. Don't worry. I'll bring it back. Just lay it all out. No writing. Just talk. And so by the end of our time together, she had a nine-page proposal. And within that proposal, I asked her to name the people that she already works with that she could delegate to. 
for example, because she was already connected to a community yeah. organization. Because all the things that needed to be done, we had to outline all the things that needed to be done. But then we had to think about who could potentially do these things. Yes. Right? So, so all the delegation, all of that was included in this nine-page document by the end. She told me how relieved she felt. And she thanked me profusely. And it was, of course, my pleasure what was my greatest pleasure was that by the next day, she told me she was 50% funded. Oh, my heavens. So I want to know, how did you work? You sound like a godsend. Okay, Roxanne? <laughs> because this is exactly, certainly my challenge. And, you know, a lot of women I talk to, it's their challenge too, that we have all of these ideas, but we don't even know where to start. And really where we need to start is to get them out. But then once they're out, then what, right? Versus it sounds like you sit with them through this. And what I've come to really learn about myself and other ADHD women is that it doesn't help us to meet with someone and be told what to do, right? Because then we don't do it. It just stresses us out. What I notice is I get the most benefit when I meet with someone and they either go do the work on their own or they sit there with me and do the work together. You know, we do the work together. So this is amazing. Absolutely, it is. So I'm curious, where does the self-care and the environment come in? Like, how did you weave that in? Do you handle that first? Is it in order? Yes, it's in order. Okay. But she was discombobulated, right, when she yes. came to you? Yeah, so coming into a momentum meeting, mm -hmm. we start out with a, with a guided meditation. And it's, mm -hmm. it's not a prescribed uh, guided meditation. It's based off of... The, the sense that I'm getting from the person that I'm with, mm -hmm. for me, gratefulness is the antidote to anxiety. True. And we take some time to be grateful that we have this time to work on, on ideas, on the notion of getting something out of your head, out of your body and into the world. We're, we're grateful. We're blessed to be able to carve out even an hour or two hours to do this. So we focus on all of the ideas that we have. It might be difficult. It is hard sometimes to have so many ideas floating around, but what an abundance that is. And how grateful we are for having so many ideas. Yeah. Right? So we start with that grounding meditation and thankfulness for being able to carve out time for ourselves and for our ideas and for our dreams and goals. And then we look at our immediate environment. So this is in a short-term meeting. This is every meeting. You look at your environment. Is there anything to clear? Is there anything to just move out the way? Is there anything that's bothering us that we just don't need to see at the moment? We can move that out the way. Now, when we work long-term, I actually go through a setup where you have to choose one item of self-care that you're going to work on during our entire time together, even outside of meetings, and then a follow-up with you during that time as well. And then I set time to set up your workspace using elements of feng shui. Hmm. So that you are sitting in a command position when you're working, that you're clearing your area. And then every meeting, we 
clear your area as well, because don't you know that we as ADHDers, we need assistance with maintenance. We can be really good cleaners, some of us. Oh, yeah. However, it's the maintenance that can be the difficulty. And so that's why there's a hierarchy that you take care of yourself, whether it's through meditation, whether it's a facial massage, whatever it is that you've committed to, that we take care of it. Now, if you've taken care of it before our meeting, that's fine. We'll still take a moment to be grateful before we start. However, if you really wanted to do some back stretches over the next month that we're working together and you didn't do your back stretch for the day yet, you're going to do it during mm-hmm. our meeting before we get started on your work. So the idea then is that they adopt your system whenever they're going to sit down and do work. Like it always starts with the self-care yes. and then environment. And then only do they a- attack the work or approach yes, the work. only. Okay. And in a, in a momentum meeting, you're not permitted to start any work unless you've taken care of yourself. You've done self-care first. You've, cle- you've taken a moment to, to clear your environment or just look, even move even f- three minutes to clear your air, your area. So just do some level of maintenance and then we move on to the work. It makes perfect sense to me because if we're not in positive emotion, we're not going to be able to get anything done. So I think it's brilliant. So how did you end up working with people with ADHD? Wow. So <laughs> was this before you knew you had ADHD or after, by the way? It was after. It okay. was after. I, I started to work with people who wanted to finish projects. And after a while, I noticed a need in the business communities that I was in for particular assistance with project completion for people who are dealing with executive functioning challenges. Yeah. And I had, I had some exercises that I was doing when I was setting up my business because I said, I want to help people finish projects. And then the question was, what people? Which people? And as I delved further and further into it, I found that people with executive functioning challenges, such as ADHD, were my people. <laughs> so can I ask you, um, yeah, you're just you know, automatically attracted to people with ADHD, right? And they're <laughs> attracted to you. It just happens. Yes. So I am so curious because you want to help people finish their projects. That would be most ADHD brains, like biggest nightmare. However, I'm curious if you've set it up in a way, because you're so creative, that you also just do the work when, with them when they're there. So there's not a lot of like administrative follow-up stuff that you have to do as well. Is that true? Or do you also... After they leave, do you do stuff? It depends. But most of the time I do. So every time that I have a momentum meeting, so, okay, let me backtrack. I will say, yes, I do administrative stuff after. Most of the time when I meet with someone, we get the work done in the meeting. So anything called homework is optional. So what happens though in, in momentum meetings is that people build momentum. They, they sit with me for two hours, they get a lot of stuff done mm-hmm. and then they feel motivated to do more before our next meeting. But if they just have a particular life, for example, where 
there's no other time except for our couple of hours together, then that's the time that they get worked in. And people like that can opt to delegate work to me and my team to complete on their behalf. However, everyone who meets with me gets a report at the end of our meeting. So as soon as that meeting is over, I have administrative time to write to my client and tell them what they accomplished so that you see your accomplishments and know what you've done. Because what we do is we have goals. We set goals from the beginning. If we're working together for four weeks, for example, the roadmap is created before those four weeks start. So the goals that we're working on for each session is coming off of the roadmap that has already been created. Got it. And I help people set goals that are realistic, like really realistic, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I give you an example. I've worked with these board game designers once. It was, it was amazing. It was a half dozen, six board game designers. And this was in person. And All we at met, the same time? Yeah. This, we met as a group and I work with them to set goals every 30 minutes. Oh. And so there was one person who said she had to write some more clues for her game. And I said, okay, so we have 30 minutes. And how many clues do you think you can write in 20 minutes? Because even though it's 30 minutes, I say, look at it like you're working for 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And I think she said, right? Mm -hmm. So I said, okay. Let's try for three. So, <laughs> and, and I remember another person in the group said, what's up with these lowered expectations? Like what is going on with these lowered expectations? But what happens when you, when you say, I know I could or should, which is, uh, can't stand yeah. the should, the shoulding, but I know I should be able to, to do 10, write 10 clues in 20 minutes. When you aim for three, you're more than likely going to reach that and oftentimes surpass it. And let me tell you, a lot of times when someone says they're going to write 10 clues in 20 minutes, they often might not. And what does that feel like <laughs> to constantly be falling short? Right. And that's totally what we do. We are so, we shouldn't be, but we're so optimistic, right? We always yes. think we can do more than is humanly possible. Right. Right. I love telling the story of, of this one woman. She's very creative and she had a board game idea that she had fleshed out. It's just that her clues were all written on strips of paper, handwritten in this crumpled envelope. And she had it like that for nine years. Oh, but it, it was a game that she played. She played with her friends and so on. And she wanted to turn it into a board game. So in our six weeks together, working on the board game with the other five people, she went from that crumpled up envelope with handwritten clues on strips of paper to a full game board with typed rules, laminated cards, game pieces, a box, everything ready to pitch to publishers in six weeks after nine years. Mm of having it in an envelope. And it started with those quote unquote lowered expectations. That's what it started with because she was very ambitious and she was saying how much she, she I can do this much or I should be able to do this much. And, and that's, that's the thing that was getting in her way. 
But once those expectations were lowered, she, more than anybody else in that group, was motivated outside of our time together. And she progressed so quickly that by the end of the six weeks, she was done and able to jump in and assist other people with their tasks. What what I did was I set up a, a, a day of just board games, but playing the board games of the, the inventors. And, ah. and I set that date in advance before they started working, which was hard for them as well, you know, to say, well, I'm setting a date now and we're inviting people to come and play your games, even though they're uh-huh. not done. That right. is the best way, though. Honestly, Roxanne, that's the only reason I have a book. You know, the gal who helped me with my book proposal, she lied to me and I showed up for a meeting and she said, we're querying authors. I'm like, no, I haven't written anything. And she goes, I have a letter. And she literally made me sit there, submit the letter to my, you know, my dream literary agent. And within, I think it was seven minutes or 10 minutes, that agent responded. And guess what I had to do then? Yep. Finish the book proposal, right? So it totally works. Yeah. You plant the seed and then you let it gestate. Mm -hmm. Uh, You take care of it. (laughs) You know, you take care of what you need to take care of, especially yourself. And you set a delivery date and you deliver. Yeah. After you panic. (laughs) Like, yeah. Yeah. But then it just becomes like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I liken it a lot to pregnancy because. I remember I, I went through my pregnancy alone in Brooklyn. Oh gosh! <laughs> and yeah. and well, I, I remember, I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I remember feeling hot, and then deciding on my way to work to go get a pregnancy test. And then it was they called me later, and they said, "You're pregnant. <laughs> Congratulations!" Oh. And I remember the panic, and I likened it to knowing that knowing for sure that in nine months I was going to get into a train wreck and I, and there's nothing I could do to stop it. Right. But then after a while, I just realized like, this is going to happen. Right. So I'll either take care of myself and do the best I can to make sure that I have an easeful delivery. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, I panic. <laughs> this is good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just, it just, just doesn't help you run the baby. Right. 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 So Yeah. So, okay. So I have to ask this question because I ask it of anybody who starts talking about pregnancy. So was your pregnancy, like most of the ones you read about where, you know, you were just tired and overwhelmed and, you know, and you may have been partly just like the emotional part, right? Or did you have tons and tons of energy? Like you were just like the energizer bunny. The second trimester I had was powerhouse. Yeah. Yeah. I love hearing that because you, we don't often hear about that. And I always think, man, if I could have that brain like 24-7, right? It's amazing. It's just, yeah. ooh, I felt like an ox. Yes. Oh, it's just exactly. amazing. Exactly. But then most of my neurotypical friends were like tired and, you know, exhausted and overwhelmed. And I'm just like, what is wrong with you? You know? <laughs> so I, I love to hear that. Okay. So let's go back to what it is that you do. You mentioned that it's so important for people with ADHD to do what they love for a living. Yes. Why do you think this is? Because passion is what sustains you. Mm. Yeah. Can you imagine doing something and going after something that you're not in love with and you're not passionate about and trying to sustain attention on that? Well, and that's what 
many ADHD people do, right? And then they they think that, oh, I'm not qualified, I'm stupid, I'm slow, and it's just the wrong environment. Yeah. Like, we have to do it. <laughs> yeah. So how do you help content creators get real about time? Because mm. cool. time's well, a problem, right? Yes, it is. It, it can be your friend, though. It can be your friend. So what I do is I do two things. I have two formulas that help manage time. So one helps manage the tasks that we have to do by understanding realistically how much time to set aside for each task. And I, that's a formula I call my essential formula. And then I have a system that manages energy. Uh. Understanding the times of day that are best for you and everyone's different. The best for you to do something stationary, the best for you to do something where you're up on your feet, the best time for you to do absolutely nothing or to chill, and then how to set yourself up for just going off the deep end. Like <laughs> when I say that, I mean that sometimes what the, one of the biggest issues I have with neurotypicals trying to help me manage time <laughs> and energy is like not understanding how creators get when they just get it in their bodies and they just have to do something. You know, mm -hmm. I remember one time doing these two splash paintings. Like I was like throwing paint. I was just, I was decorating my house and I was just totally into it. I was doing it for like two, three weeks in a row. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to get these paintings done. You know, I stayed up and did <laughs> and painted till five o'clock in the morning yes. on a school night. But it just so it just so happened that it was a, it turned into a snow day, and I pretty much kind of knew that it was going to be a snow <laughs> day, right? But I don't know if it would have made much of a difference. However, I know that sometimes creatives and creatives with ADHD go into this hyper focus zone, and we don't want it to take us down. We don't want to do something for 10, 12 hours straight. And then we're kind of no good for, for two, three days afterward. Yeah. Yeah. Which, and I always kind of feel like, cause I, I can relate to that where I just get into hyper-focus and I am an animal and I accomplish what most people could accomplish in two weeks. Right. Mm -hmm. yes. And so sometimes though, I just, you know, the next couple days, I'm kind of useless. I'm doing everything, but and I've just gotten to the point where I'm like, whatever, that's just, you know, that's how I work. Exactly. And, and, and so with my system, it's to make sure that you can prep yourself to do that. Like, mm. you know, so I, I used to just kind of impulsively, and I, I think I still do sometimes impulsively go in a direction and then pay for it later because I had a meeting right? Or I have this yeah. podcast of meeting Tracy on. And so I help ADHD creatives get excited about going into that zone and plan for it. So it might not happen at this moment, but six hours from now or tomorrow, you know, you're going there, but you know that you've padded your life so that you can recover and not to suffer major consequences as a result. 
Yeah, it sounds like what you're doing is really helping them to build awareness around what works for them. Yes. And then there's the structure, right? Because you say that you help them go into what it is that they're going to do, excited about it, instead of doing that procrastination thing. Correct. Makes a lot of sense. So, Roxanne, what are the ADHD traits that you feel are responsible for your success? Uh, so one, I think the number one is creativity. Mm. It's got to be. It's to come up with these workarounds, <laughs> to come up with these multiple workarounds to succeed. Like when I talked about college and wheeling and dealing and saying, hey, I'm taking this lit class. Can I change it into a drama class so it can count toward my degree? Because I, um, and and I ended up on the dean's list when, and I started out on probation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's the, it's the creativity for me, I think. And what do you think the key to living successfully with ADHD is? Telling yourself the truth. Can you expand on that? Releasing should. Releasing, I should be able to do this. I think I should be able to do this. I are saying I will be able to do A, B, C, or D because you think you should. Like being really realistic about what you will accomplish in a day, what is reasonable for you to accomplish in a day, and being okay, being okay with that. Yeah. Do you have a number one ADHD workaround? I'd have to say the Amazon Echo. Ah. That thing, I just, I don't have to touch it. They're not a lot of steps. Mm-hmm. Don't have to take it out and then look at my phone and then get distracted by a text that came in and all of this stuff. No, just say, Alexa, remind me to meet Tracy at 12 p.m. <laughs> and oh, then it'll really? Say, it'll say, da, 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 Roxanne, <laughs> this is a <laughs> reminder. Meet Tracy at 12 p.m. So hold on a second, because I, I use her a lot, too. And I love the fact that you just talk at her, right? Like you yes. said, there's nothing really to do but talk at her. And so you do it. But I didn't know I can tell her to remind me about stuff. And I can tell her, I can actually tell her to schedule a meeting for me. Well, I can add, with mine, I can add things to my Google Calendar. Really? And also, although I hardly do that, I don't know. So actually, don't quote me on that because sometimes they change the features. Mm -hmm. uh, but I can ask it to read my calendar for the day and it will do that. Yeah. But for example, if I'm here having lunch and I know I have to meet you at noon, I will set a reminder for 10 minutes to noon, five minutes to noon and two minutes to noon. And it will do that. Then if I use the app, I can set a reminder in advance for to go off everywhere. So in, not just in my office, but every room of the house. Mm -hmm. So no matter where I am, I will hear, you got to meet Tracy. So do you have um, one of these, I, I don't want to say her name because then she's going to friggin' wake up. Yes. The uh, Echo. Do you have one of these devices in every room? Yeah, pretty much. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. Every room or it's adjacent, like it's, adja it's adjacent to my bathroom on two sides. So uh, I will hear it no matter what. It's in the kitchen. 
It's at, it's yeah, it's in every room. I know some people are wary about it. However, I I'm not one of those people who who's going to be the first to get any type of technology. I'm usually the last or close to the last. However, I had already created some kind of audio support before discovering the Amazon Echo. Mm-hmm. And when I discovered the Amazon Echo, I was one of the first people that I knew to have one. And it really did transform my life and my daughter's life. And it, it just really kept me aware of what was going on. Plus it was great. It's great for my shopping list. Cause I have like a Trader Joe's list, <laughs> different lists. And I can just say, add such and such to my particular list. And then when I go in the shop, I just press, I just press list yeah. Trader Joe's and I see everything I have to buy in that particular store. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's great. I mean, I definitely use her for my Google calendar, but I set it up on my, you know, laptop on my computer. And then I have set it up. So it'll give me all those those reminders, except my last reminder is actually when I need to be there because I have been sitting at my computer, you know, for 10 minutes and thinking, okay, I'm all ready. And then all of a sudden I'll work on something else and I will literally forget the meaning. So yeah, exactly. So I use the wording or I use particular wording too. Like it's usually my last is two minutes before I'm supposed to be there or three minutes before I'm supposed to be there. And it's your meeting starts now. I say that so that yeah. You go to it, right. Exactly. You go to it. Oh, I love that. So, Roxanne, are you working on something that you want to tell us about? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to work on creating videos to help people be more productive. And in the meantime, anyone can visit my website. That's swellhead.com. And you can remember it because if you have loads of ideas in your head and your head is just just gigantic, it's big, full of ideas, and you are a swellhead. So if you go to swellhead.com, you can learn how to create a course if you have executive functioning challenges or to complete other content. If you're a different kind of content creator besides somebody trying to create a course, you you can learn how to do that and you can get your freebies on the website depending on which journey you're looking for. If they want to work with you, they can also go there, I'm assuming. Yes, they can absolutely go there and look under services to contact me or apply to be a Momentum Meeting client. Do you have an Instagram or any other, like, do you have a social site where they can find you? Yes, I'm on Facebook and also Instagram at Roxanne Jarrett. And that's R-O-X-A-N-N-E-J-A-R-R-E-T-T. So this will all be in our show notes. Roxanne, I have been smiling the whole time I've been speaking with you. You're such a pleasure to talk to. You know, too, I've been smiling the whole time. It's been a pleasure. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us here today. It's my absolute pleasure. Love talking to you. I love so much of what you do, Tracy, and how much you serve smart-ass women with ADHD. (laughs) Yep. It's been great being part of your Facebook group, and it's just such a pleasure to talk to you today. It's been wonderful. Same here. I've often thought, 
I need to hire Roxanne. I need her to help me with this. And the more you tell me exactly how it is that you work, because I know I've recommended clients for you. I just love the way you work. But the more we've been talking today, I'm thinking, yeah, I've got some projects. I need to talk to Roxanne. (laughs) Bring it on. Bring it on. So if you like this episode with Roxanne, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. I just stumbled all over that. As always, you're listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. Come join me over at tracyoutsuka.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyoutsuka.com, where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.